Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, the show on Racing UK, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. In the company of Luck on Sunday, regular newsboy from the Daily Mirror, David Yates and Neil Mulholland uh, making his debut on the programme. And Neil, it's been a fantastic, well, I was going to say it's been a fantastic weekend for you. It started brilliantly. Yeah, really good, Nick. Obviously, the young master got it going very well. And then um, my brother finished second in the second race, but... After that, it went a little bit wrong. We'll talk about yesterday's feature race in a little while, but it just goes to show you in these big field handicaps around Shetland, there is simply no hiding place when the ground's lively. Exactly. You just mentioned a minute ago there were 18 horses went to the start in the bet victory yesterday with 12 of them failing to complete. You know, it, and the majority of fallers and on seats. So um, it's, it's, uh, that's jump racing for you. It is, but it started brilliantly for you the weekend, and it's good to see the young master back. I, I kept saying he's a great old favourite. He is, in fact, only nine years old, but he seems to have been around forever. That's right, he's only nine, but he, you know, he's a very genuine, tough horse. He's been a great servant to the yard, and you know, I keep saying I hope he's still going to be a great servant, because he is only nine, and um, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's in the double figures of races that he's won throughout his career. And he, he hasn't even gotten to the vet, veteran stages yet um, to qualify for those races. But um, it's been fantastic. He's won two very nice races um, in the past, say, five or six weeks. And um, it's great, obviously, with the connection with the Wheelie Cones as well at, at Cheltenham. And it was a nice start to the, to the meeting, wasn't it? A good established chase, a bold round of jumping. And it sort of set us up for the three days, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first two... Days, I think he'd been very good. He's some operator, the jockey, isn't he? That, that, I, I'm always interested in the, well, I was going to say chasm, but the gap between the very top amateurs and the professionals. We, you know, we, Marcus Armitage obviously is in the press room every day, most days, and we say to him, why didn't you turn pro? And he said, I wasn't good enough. And my memory of Marcus was that he was, he, he could have turned pro if he'd wanted to. And I, I certainly think the same, obviously Sam Whaley-Cohen is a, a very busy man with his, but dental business, business isn't he do you, you know surely he w he would be able to compete with the professional ranks wouldn't he neil do you think yeah and as you say he's exceptionally busy you know he's a very very successful businessman so he's not even he's right. not even able to dedicate full time to to what he does on horseback no and i his father tells me that he doesn't even have a pa so you know he's he's very hands on i know i know he goes to meetings in london and he runs home you know, he's, he's very, very dedicated probably to what, whatever he does. Um, he's fit and he's a hell of a nice fella. 
Well, you were represented doubly in the feature race yesterday. We're just used to seeing your name against horses in big races now. Unfortunately, it, it, it didn't happen for the very well-fancied Calandra, who was one of several horses who came to grief. In rear, right at the back, held up, tipping away, travelling nicely, and... Took off a stride, half a stride too soon? Yeah, um, that's actually the best view I've had of it since <laughs> since the race yesterday. Um, the plan was obviously to hold on to him a bit a bit more um, yesterday than what happened in, in the April meeting, and um, Noel was very happy with where he was and how he was going at the time. But um, unfortunately, he probably just had a little bit, you know, not. Not that it was a bad thing, but he he was just probably just cantering along and came up with it in Noel's hands. What was what was Noel's report of the actual Noel, incident? Yeah, Noel was actually very sore after the race. Right. I thought, and I didn't want to be, um, you know, interrogating too much. Yeah, exactly, because you know sometimes you know these boys are very very tough, and you know if you think someone's sore, he could actually be something broken because their pain level is so so high and so good so it was short and brief but he said he was very happy with where he was obviously it was a long way from home but as we planned the race before that was exactly how we wanted it to be uh, obviously the pace up front um, with Jamie Moore and Bryony you know they were handy the whole way and they stayed there so we would have had to been coming from behind but um, he is a horse that travels very well and then where we were at the time we were happy well, it was a, a thrilling race to watch. It was an incident-packed race to watch, Dave. And I'd imagine there'd been plenty of people who were pretty anxious, given how many fallers there were. But happily, all the horses came back OK. There were just a few cuts and scrapes. And the, the two jockeys who were, were hurt were walking wounded. So <laughs> not too much damage done, but it was unrelenting. Yeah, it certainly was. Well, I mean, for, what, 18 to set out and 6 to finish. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, we will... <laughs> revisit this subject in the weeks and months and years to come you know th that is what attracts crowds to racing and to jump racing in particular isn't it if we if we didn't have 18 runner handicap chases like this over two and a half miles but we just fed horses polo mints mm. in their boxes no one would come and watch that's the you know this is exciting and that's that's why that's why the stands at Cheltenham were full yesterday and that's why the you know they they raised the the roof when the when the winner came in because he's a brave horse yeah. who's made the running and and he's responded to pressure up the hill and he's won. He's also a magnificently consistent horse and he also had a year off with injury. Five hundred and seventy-seven yeah. days. Exactly. It's a brilliant training performance, even with the prep run under his belt, Neil. How difficult is it when you get a horse who's peaked at the age of seven or eight to get him back again a couple of years later? How difficult is that? How much of a challenge is that? How much can you realistically expect you're going to have the same horse back again in your experience? You know, it's very difficult. You know, people think the young master would probably be in that category as well. Um, but obviously the horse has to want to do it. That's, you know, that's the, obviously the big, big thing. Trying to keep the horses happy and healthy and... You know, but it's very, very difficult. But Gary's done a great job, and you know, I'm a very, very big admirer of Gary. I think you know, any of the trainers, he's the man I would look up to. Well, your flattery is well timed because Gary joins us on the line now. Gary, good morning. Good morning. And congratulations. Good morning. Sorry, what were you going to say? 
How are you? We're very well, thanks, Gary, and it's, it's great to hear from you. And uh, we're just looking at the horse again and uh, discussing how difficult it is to get these horses back. I suppose if you've got a horse like him who's got that will to win and will to do it, it makes your job that little bit more straightforward. Absolutely. If I haven't got the heart and the one is to do it, you, you know, you know, it's quite a slippery slope, aren't you? How were you feeling going into yesterday? Because obviously you were supposed to have two in the race. Jamie was supposed to ride Benatar. You took Benatar out and this, the horse became your sole representative. What were you feeling going into the race? I felt that um, the horse was in a good place with himself. You know, he, he galloped very, very well uh, earlier in the week. And, you know, and I thought his first run was very good and he'd have to improve for that. So, you know, and I don't think it was the strongest... Um, race they've ever had there. I can't remember. Was it Matty Ferguson or something? Was it Mackerson? Mackerson to start with, yeah, and then yeah. been various yeah. incarnations since, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't think the strongest one ever, and luckily he was in the right place, wasn't he? You had to be on the front end there yesterday. If he wasn't, you was history sort of thing. I mean, for a jumper to us, he looks like quite a fast horse, but it, is that actually the case or not? No, he's not that fast as it happens, no. No, he's got a fairly high cruising speed. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't run him on the back. But what he does do is he just keeps galloping, and he had a a, a great partner in, in your son Jamie. I, I'd imagine there were slightly mixed feelings insofar as that he was going to be Josh's ride until until Benatar came out. Uh, yeah, Josh got injured the day before anyway, so that was it was it was a no-brainer then sort of thing, you know. So uh, um, yeah, Jamie, I think he actually changed four times in the morning what he was going to ride and what he wasn't going to ride, you know. Uh, 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 48-hour decks, and you know, and he, he actually changed four times. So I didn't even know what he was riding until I picked up the paper the next day, sort of thing. So that's how hard the choice was. I, I mused after the race yesterday. Does that suggest that you think that Benatar, who wasn't a runner yesterday, is still a pretty well handicapped horse and a horse who could go pretty near the top? Never well handicapped, but he, uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, I think he's, he's a pretty smart horse, Benatar. You know. I'm going to have to get up a bit earlier to get you to admit a horse as well handicapped, Gary. I realise that. I realise that. What, what is that? What is the obvious path for Baron Alco now? When they go back there for the, um, that, the what's that race? The posh name race. The caviar. Caviar. Come on, we all enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. He go back there for that. I think it's about four weeks' time. Entries closed on the 27th, I think. And when we uh, when we yeah. knew him a couple of years ago, he was a horse who could take his racing well. Do you, are you confident that you know he can he can he can back up a a big effort like yesterday's with another one fairly quickly? His manger was very clean this morning. I know that. I haven't jogged him up yet, but he ate up everything last night, and he was he was wanting his food this morning. So uh, you know, he hasn't killed him anyway. And when he was off, when he was off last year, was it was he a difficult horse to manage or a straightforward horse to manage? Very very easy horse to deal with. He's got a great mind, and that's what makes him such a good. I, I saddled him up yesterday, and he just walked around the paddock half asleep, and it was which I love to see. But when when a um, when the jockey gets on, he wakes up. Now something I, I I really I like to see in a horse. You know, he wasn't buzzy. He was just his mind is so good. That's what makes him probably as talented as he is. And you mentioned that, that Josh was injured on, on Friday. How, how long is he going to be off? I'm not quite sure, yeah. I don't think it's going to be too long. hope not. But it, it doesn't look too uh, serious? No, not too serious, no. That's no. good news. Cause he, he really has yeah. had wretched luck with, the, with his shoulder and whatnot, hasn't he? He has, yeah. Thank goodness it wasn't his... It was a shoulder injury he's got this time, but it wasn't the, the main 
part of the shoulder, a different part this time. And was there was there a pretty good buzz about the yard last night? I, I noticed on your on your on your Twitter feed that there's a good, good celebrations. There's a big hard working team, a lot of horses, a lot of people really getting stuck in. Could you could you feel it when you got back to the stables last night? Um, be quiet, they all gone home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to see my mum on the way home from uh, from Cheltenham, and at the time I got back, it was they'd all gone home, you know, and I don't blame them. I, I don't do partying anyway now. I'm too old for that, but I hope the staff did. I don't know. Well, it's certainly a good cause for celebration. Gary, thanks so much for joining us, and well done yesterday. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Gary Moore, winner of the big race with... Uh with Baron Alka. I think there's always a sense when, when the Moors have a winner. It's always, it always seems to be a popular winner, doesn't oh, it? Absolutely. I mean, the, um, the champion chase uh, victory a couple of years ago of Sardegruji. Crystal Palace horse, yeah, Sardou Gruji, um, was, was one of the, I, I, you know, I, I think that was certainly one of the, the really great days at, at Cheltenham when I've been reporting there. Mm. You know, it, it was a, it was such a, a warmly received victory. You know, they're, they're, they, they're, they're an exceptional family, aren't they? Because we know about their work ethic. You try and draw, uh, you try and draw any of them into blowing their own trumpets. You know, I mean, with Gary uh, after the race yesterday, I said statistically is quite rare. You, you mentioned the young master. It's, it's statistically rare for horses to come back from. 500 plus days off to win a competitive race like that and Gary just sort of went is it I said, well yeah it is <laughs> and, and, and the, the, the interview you know fell at the first essentially but because I was trying to get him to to say well yes it's very difficult we do this that and the other but you know Ryan's the same isn't he you know you can't you can't get him to they're, they're not boastful they don't talk about how great they are and what they've achieved they just get on with it and that, that's why I think that's why people warm to them. Yeah, flattery works with some people, but yeah, not, but not not everyone yeah. as a tactic. Well done to them. Well done also to Philip Hobbs, who's got his team in excellent form at the beginning of this season. A lot of horses now looking quite well handicapped after a leanish spell last year. Rock the Casbar, one of them. He's not the most straightforward of horses in truth. Rock the Casbar. He got a good ride from Richard Johnson, Neil. Yeah, obviously Richard's very positive, and um, that reflected here. Um, it was great. Obviously, they've had plenty of winners there in the last. Fortnight to see, I think, ten winners in ten days. So, um, yeah, it's it's great for the team, and you know, it's very hard for yards to f- keep firing every year in year out. But um, he's certainly he's certainly in great form at the moment. Never a horse that I I really know where I stand with, particularly yeah. Dave. But when he's on song, he's quite useful. Absolutely. Now they're, they're looking at the national with him. Uh, they've what had what's up, boys, and Balthazar King. In second, in second place in that race before. It must be, you know, nearly. It, it's when, when a yard has something wrong with the horses. I mean, it, 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 from a journalistic point of view, we can ring trainers and think, oh, he was a bit off hand. What was wrong with him? But it must drive you mad, mustn't it? When Philip Hobbs last year, he must have thought, what can I do about this? You know, that there's something not right with the horses. It must have just driven him to just. Distraction, exasperation, mustn't it? What's it? What's it like? What can you? What do you do in that situation? Yeah, um, it can be very frustrating, you know. But like, obviously, Philip Hobbs has been a master at his at his trade, and um, you know, he knows how to train horses. He doesn't need to change anything. It it just 
things, unfortunately, horses run below par, and then you come into a golden, a golden patch as well. Um, Alistair Down actually spoke to me on Friday, and he said your horses are running fantastic. He said, um, he said one thing, trainers, you you all look into um, whenever the horses are running below par. He said, but nobody ever looks into why they're running so well, you know. But I just think they're just. It's like ourselves, really. Um, you know, it, you just have a little bit more energy, and um, they're just fit and healthy. And um, for some reason, when when one runs well, they all run well. Does it help a trainer to be, either to be quite grounded in that you don't have depths, but you don't have massive highs either? That you sort of keep in that middle band. You seem you seem like that. Philip Hobbs seems like that as well. That when when the tough times do come that you're you're, you're a little better prepared to cope with them you know, this game would grind anyone to be fair you know um obviously yesterday we were hopeful of, of a big run but um unfortunately that didn't happen but the main thing is tomorrow's another day and the horse was okay and mm. um, for, for both horses but um i think it's something we're going to touch on later in the program is those kind of emails and text messages and stuff when you're going well people will say well done but you know when you're going bad there's plenty more people who like to tell you you're going bad yeah. than, than not going bad you know um, and that's just the way it is but like, I always think you're better off having a horse undercooking them rather than overcooking them because you know like a human being you know if you, if you feel fresh and well you're going to perform better. Where if if you feel a bit tired and you maybe pushed pushed yourself too hard, I don't think I don't think you'll perform just as well. So I always look at the I always look to try and just undercook them rather than overcook them because it's a long season. Well, we're all feeling fresh and well this morning, aren't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, one horse who was fresh and well yesterday and received the biggest reception of all, even though he didn't win the race, was Coney Gree, the past Gold Cup hero three and a half years ago. This was him walking into the third place enclosure. What a lovely reception from a horse who, who ran his heart out. What a warrior. Sarah and Mark Bradstock must be so proud of him. Mark Bradstock's on the line now. Mark, good morning. Good morning. Uh, first question, and the most important question is, how is he this morning? I mean, he seems fine. I mean, understandably a bit stiff, but, I mean, he, you know, he's quite perky. He's um, wandering around the village as we speak. Uh, and his, his most recent issue was a, a, his issue with his wind, and you had his, his wind operated on. How confident can you ever be that that's actually worked? I think, I mean, you know, I think one of the issues actually last year's season was um, was Weatherby when he, you know, struck into himself so badly. Um, you know, and I think in hindsight that was probably a lot worse than everybody, you know, actually thought. <clears throat> um, you know, he, you know, he really took quite a bit of his foot off. So. You at the time possibly didn't quite realise the, the the severity of that, but then it was a it was a, a breathing issue at Newbury, wasn't it? When when oh, sure, Nick no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had a tongue tie on for the first time yesterday, which we have exercised him, and he just, you know, I think that likewise seems to help a bit. Oh, we talked about him quite a bit, and talked about him to you on this program, and you're always under a bit of pressure with a horse like this. There's a sense of public ownership around him, even though we've only seen him five times since his Gold Cup. 
Was there any point where you well, thought... a few people back in their box, didn't it? Well, it, th- this is what I was getting at, really. Was there any point where you thought, I, I, don't, I don't want to go there, I don't want to risk him anymore? I mean, no, because mentally he, you know, he is still in a very, very, very good place. Um, I mean, I know you had well, last week or the week before. I mean, you know, social media and a lot of people, we have to tread very, very carefully these days. You know, I know you were talking about it, as I said, you know, was it last yeah. weekend or the weekend before? Yeah, both, I think. Um, you know, one has to be very careful about the whole game. Um, you know, but, you know, we are the last people who would ever put um, him or any other horse in a position which we thought was detrimental to their, their health and well-being. As far as yesterday's run's concerned... How did he run relative to your expectations? What did you realistically imagine might happen, and and what did happen? How did they square with one another? Well, I think you know the issue really was going to be always going to be ground. You know, we've been we tried to go to Down Royal and we wanted to go to Ascot. Um, you know, everybody's been in the same boat. It's been an incredibly dry autumn, but you know, and likewise, you know, a scorching summer. Um, you know, the ground was plenty plenty quick enough for him, although we were, you know, walked in and spoke to a lot of the jockeys, you know, and they all came back saying, it's safe, um, you know, which, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, when we got there were actually even quite surprised that we were running because of the ground. Now, it, you know, to us and to most of the jockeys, it was safe ground, which was, you know, obviously vital. And how do you pick your way through the season from here, do you think? Ah, <laughs> by ah. I know it's a crazy question for a horse like him, really, isn't it? But well, I mean, say as we know, you know, my wife. I mean, you know, she spends, you know, I mean, one has to, you know, give all the credit, you know, to her. You know, okay, we've got fabulous staff and everything like that, but you know, she does, which I know is well documented, spend a long time with him. Um, you know, and I think you know her. Hard work and um, love for the fellow, you know, showed yesterday. How, how would your lives be different without this horse? How would our lives be different without this horse, Crikey? Well, I mean, no, the, <laughs> I mean, there not, I mean, okay, you know, he's won a gold cup, which a lot of people haven't, you know, although that actually didn't um, bring in any more, any more horses, but, you know, that's, by the by, how would it be different? It's just, you know, I mean, he's... <laughs> he sadly doesn't particularly like me, but, I mean, that's beside the point. I let him off that. Um, it's just, you know, he is... You know, to have a horse like him in a small yard like us is is wonderful. But, you know, you can hark back to Carruthers, King Harold's step back. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's brilliant. So... Does it does it annoy you that it, it, his his success hasn't begotten a, an influx of new horses? Um, does it annoy me? Um, not particularly. You know, we just keep our head down and just keep going. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. 
Delighted to welcome our next guest to the Luck on Sunday studio. He both rode and trained winners at the Cheltenham Festival. It's been a glittering career as a trainer. He's one of the most enduring figures in national hunt racing. He trains at Roanhurst in Lambourne. And, of course, he's a grand national winning trainer. His exploits with the much-celebrated and much-vaunted many clouds will live long in the memory. He is, of course, Oliver Sherwood. Oliver, good morning. Thank you morning. for coming. I mean, it's taken us a long time to persuade you to come in, but I'm very pleased uh, that you're here. And you're a man in good form and on good terms with himself, by the looks of things. Yeah, morning. Nick, no, uh, listen, the horses have been running great. Uh, I'm not a great one for summer jumping, but from when they've run from sort of August, July onwards, they've all run really well, touch wood. You say you're not a great man for summer jumping. Is that your, is that your traditionalist route, sort of bedding down, really, the, the grounding with Fred Winter? And is it, is it very much that sort of old-school mentality? Oh, uh, yes, I think so, but you've got to change. You know, summer jumping is very much here to stay. And uh, the summer festivals, I think, were going to come into play more often, which uh, Dan Skelton mentioned earlier on this week. Um, so, uh, and you are getting seasons are changing. I know the last winter was very wet. It's going to be looking like, yeah, this winter is going to be very dry. Uh, having said that, it'll probably pour with rain that now for two for two months. I'll have to eat, eat humble pie. But no, I, I just I find it sometimes quite difficult seeing in the summer we've had three-mile chases running around in very hot weather. Mm. I'm not saying fast ground because the race courses don't allow it now. But um, I, I just feel summer is for flat racing and winter is for jump racing. I, it's a little bit traditionalist, I accept that. Well, you're in a perfect position, really, given the experiences you've had to assess the, the overall health of jump racing. How, how do you rate it? How do you sense the enthusiasm for it amongst people who own horses, people who come to your yard? in yourself uh, even if you look at the crowds on friday record crowds at cheltenham i think i'm right and saying the mm. crowds are there um more so i would say uh jump racing than flat racing i think that is because the crowd uh, relate to the individual horses they're around longer uh don't get me wrong i love top class flat racing and seeing the horses john has been running uh, john gosden's been, been running it, it, it's fantastic but uh uh, getting owners is is difficult. Um, I'm lucky that I've been training quite a long time, and I started training in what I call boom time. There was plenty of money around, and uh, I wanted to start training when I stopped riding, because uh, you're soon forgotten in this game. Yeah. And I nearly was soon forgotten, having had a few barren years after having Cheltenham winners and whatever. I took my eye off the ball, probably. And luckily, the likes of Many Clouds and Puff and Billies and Deputy Dan's had got me back in there but uh, I think jumping is pretty healthy we all want more prize money I think the bottom end is is, is tough whether you're a jump jockey or a trainer or a trainer with a handful of horses it's very tough to make a living but I, I, I think jumping is, is in a pretty healthy state tell me back to when you started training you said it was a time when a lot of money was sloshing around it's Thatcher's 80s you were a young person in a lovely yard in Lambourne. In a sense, it was the perfect sweet spot, wasn't it? You were everyone's idea of the sort of person they wanted to have a, a horse with because you were young and fun and just starting out. And people, people are attracted to, to trainers of that, of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I said, I'd been champion amateur riding and they knew me. People relate to me uh, from, from that, from being Fred Winters' mm. assistant and starting training, so I was hungry. Don't get me wrong... These young lads coming up, the likes of Neil and Dan Skelton, they're keeping us all on our toes. Uh, so uh, at that time, 
I wouldn't say it wasn't as competitive as now, uh, but uh, I got sent horses from people because I was the new kid on the block. I've yeah. seen it every year. You get the new kids come on the block, they're hungry. I'm as hungry as, I promise you, as Dan or as competitive as Dan or Ollie Murphy, who's on the scene now, and all those boys. Uh, and I, I don't like getting beat. I got beat by one of, of, of Dan's yesterday, and it, it, don't get wrong, I was over the moon with the way he ran, but I, I don't like getting beat. Who does like getting beat? I, but you have, I think as we get older, we get, we take it better. Mm. And because you have a, quite a, a sort of happy countenance when people see you at the races and you're, you're always smiling and, and having a, having a joke. I? Well, I think you are. <laughs> I think you are. I'm known as Mr. Grumpy by some people. Well, possibly, <laughs> possibly people who are closest to you, Oliver. But, yeah, probably. Um, Fair shout. But no, I, you're a popular figure in the sport, but does that give people a misleading impression that you're not as hungry and competitive as... As yeah, you actually I, uh, are, because I know how hungry and competitive you are. You're probably right, Nick. Uh, you should, you can answer that better than I do. I can, but I, I, I am, um, I'm, I'm very competitive. I get quite despondent when things are going wrong, but I think every trainer or jockey does that. It, any sport, if you're, whether you're a footballer, cricketer, when, when things are not going right and you're not in form, you get despondent and you, you sort of. What can I do differently? I don't like this. I don't like being in the second division. With due respect to the second, to the second division. Uh, uh, and you want to try and tweak things to get better, and how do I get better horses and blah? There's no more uh, hungrier, hungrier, more competitive person than Paul Nichols and Dan Skelton and everything. They eat, sleep and drink it 24-7. I'm not quite that way. There's more to life as I've got older. Yeah. There's more to life than just horse racing. Uh, but it is my life, and uh, I love my I love other, th um, other yeah, things in life, but... Um, uh, but you're probably right, going back to what you originally said, that uh, because I'm a sort of happy-go-lucky sort of person, uh, that they feel I'm sort of a bit of a joie de vivre and I just get on with this and what comes along comes along sort of thing. But uh, the days of wanting to be champion trainer have gone. Uh, the quality horses I want every year, every trainer wants that. Yeah. You want another Many Clouds or a Koto Star or a Denman or whatever or an Altior. Uh, that's what we get up in the bed, uh, uh, um, get out of bed for in the mornings. But um, to have 150 horses now, I, I, I would knock me for six, I think. In terms of when you had a, a barren spell, I mean, it wasn't as though you were training two winners a year. You were still training a few winners. But you said you took your eye off the ball. In 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 what way? In what way were were you doing things differently? I no, not differently. I just hadn't got the ammunition. And uh, again, what I said earlier, I was training, I had sort of average horses at the time. We had a 10-year gap, I think, of not having mm. a, a graded winner. When I'd had a double at the festival and, ch and Aintree winners uh, and top-class horses, the likes of the Westerwake, Large Actions, Be Rude, Not Too's, Coulton's, all those sort of horses. And uh, I can't answer why I took the eye off my ball. I went through a pretty messy divorce, which was not nice. Uh, if it wasn't for Tanya, my wife, I think I would have packed up and she kept pushing me and um, uh, but then I kept saying to myself, well, what else can I do? So I, I think I'm right in saying and I actually sort of, I wanted to stay in the game, but I, I was sort of not making, I wasn't making any money, I was losing money out of it and I actually wrote to John Joe asking if I could have a job with him as a sort of an assistant. Really? You know, and John Joe said to me, um, I got something on my wall in my office, don't you ever give up? And it was worse, it was after John Joe had cancer. 
and uh, you have days when you're down and everything, don't you ever give up? And I've still got it behind my desk in my office. And it's, it's the days, don't get me wrong, uh, when uh, you have bad days and you think, uh, uh, what the hell am I, this is, is it all worthwhile? And then you've got to get up in the morning, you've got another 50 horses to look after, or 30 horses or whatever it is, and you've just got to move on, you've just got to take it on the chin. Because that's the thing, isn't it? You, you haven't got time to sit and reflect no, particularly and, and, and feel sorry for yourself because you've got these animals to look after and yep. that necessitates you being out of bed at five o'clock every morning. And it's not just the animals, it's the staff as mm. well. We have, a, uh, we have a great team at home. Every trainer says that. that you're only as good as a team you've got along with the animals you've, you're training. Um, and uh, we, have a bit of, we have a lot of laugh. The, the banter's good. But I'm a huge believer in if you have a happy staff, you'll have happy horses. And uh, if I was going to pack up, I'm, uh, the 50 other, you know, sorry, 15 lads or 20 lads or staff are going to be out of jobs. So that comes into the equation. And I'm, I'm only the captain of the ship, uh, but uh, where they all muck in together and uh, we, uh, they say, what about this boss, what about that? And OK, the final decision comes from me. But um, it's very much a te- team effort in a, in a yard of my size. Let's talk about Many Clouds, because he's been one of the most storied horses of the last, of the last decade. People responded so well to him during his racing career and responded to him posthumously. You know, he, he ended his life and career in the sort of most heroic way possible, in a sense. It, it, it was an extraordinary story from beginning to end and beyond the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was staggering. Um, Every trainer sort of, we all hope we're going to get a horse like that. I mean, all the big, Paul and Nicky have, done, have got it and do it year in, year out. Um, I picked him out in the field with Mick Meag, who's Trevor's mm. manager, and just loved, I just loved him. And it was the year I had Puff and Billy as well, who was yeah. quite a good, more precocious animal than many clouds. And he was actually a better hurdler than many clouds was. Uh, but I always thought whatever Many Clouds did, he'd be a um, better chaser. So um, Billy wasn't a complete natural over fences, even though he was very tough. But uh, and he had the, Many Clouds had the perfect owner, with due respect to the other owners. Uh, let us get on with it. Uh, the only thing we did have to do, we, he wanted, Trevor wanted to run him in the Neptune and Mick and I managed to sort of persuade him to run an EVF final because he wasn't ready for mm. a Neptune. Um, but, and then he grew in confidence as an individual when he first came to me, Many Clouds, he was, he was a, um, a timid animal. Uh, you went, if you did anything in a rush in his box, uh, he'd oh, cow in the corner and then the more he did, CJ, who looked after him, the, uh, just gave him confidence along with Leighton and uh, Nathan Horrocks, who rode him, and he just transferred, transferred from there. It's interesting, actually, because the, the way you're talking about it suggests that he's a horse that, for all we associate, associate him with being incredibly tough and lion-hearted, and that if, if you treated him just in a slightly different way early in his career, he could have fallen apart completely. Uh, I believe that. I certainly believe that. Um, and the fact that somebody said somebody came to me last week, the fact that no other jockey ever rode him in a race bar Leighton. Yeah. No other jockey ever schooled him at home bar Leighton. Not even Tom Garner or my other conditionals who were there at the time ever schooled him. Um, and uh, okay, not to start with early on, but from virtually the middle of his career, bar the odd days, Nathan Horrocks, who's the video cam man. Yeah. 
uh, uh, be a guest on the show next week. So I gather. Yes. So I can't. So you got it. You got it there first. Yes. Absolutely. But he wrote him out every day, and he got to know him inside out. But again, every trainer will tell you you're only as good as the team you've got mm. giving you feedback they're giving me feedback it's all very well looking at gallops and looking how they're moving and everything like that they know every little idiosyncrasy is about an individual boss he's not quite right he's a bit quiet today uh, he's not he's a bit tight and this that, that it's all coming to me all to the trainer to john or to neil or to nikki and it's logged in here and then you come to a decision so um i think if we'd gone too quickly with many clouds early on in his career and gone into the bigger into two bigger races I don't think he'd have been the horse he was Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai and one man who will be hoping to have similar success and dominance with top class animals in the national hunt sphere is Colin Tizard Native River and Thistlecrack reappear in the Betfair Chase at Haydock live on Racing UK next Saturday we've been down to the Tizard stable to catch up on their preparations and first of all Nick Lightfoot caught up with Colin's son and assistant Joe we're spoiled that we've got the opportunity to run Native River and Thistlecrack with two live chances if we get Thistlecrack back to his best um, then we've got two serious horses still, still to go to these races with. A lot of people say the jump season is all geared around Cheltenham, but you know the, the money's been put up. But we could have one hell of a race in the Betfair Chase, couldn't we? Yeah, it could be. If they all turn up, then it could be the, the sort of like certainly the first half race of the season, won't it? You know, they um, normally by by the time you get to Cheltenham, something. Something's gone wrong with, with one of them. Fingers crossed it's not, it's not one of ours, but, but the, I think the Gold Cup looks extremely hot in October and, and, and then, then a couple drop by the wayside. That's horses, you get, you get the injuries with them. But, um, but if they all make it to Haydock, and it, at the moment it looks like they're going to, um, it'd be a hell of a first run. It's first runs for all of them as well, so it'll, um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. And just on the, the first run, I suppose two years ago you gave him that, that run in the hurdle before... Um, before the Hennessy last year, though, I suppose he didn't even come back for, for what was it, eleven months, and he proved that he was very good fresh. Yeah, no, he's he, he's always he is good fresh, but um, you know, we we took him to Exeter yesterday, and we've just that was not we didn't gallop him hard, but but he had a two mile canter and quickened up at the straight, and it was mm. a way day, so so we've that was all we needed to do, and that's all he'd he'd, he'd had an away day before he went to Newbury last year as well, so it's just enough to get their blood up and, and just do a bit, just different to what we can do at home so um so there's no excuses we're not we're not expecting him to to blow up or, or need the run you know yeah. he's this is a big race on his own right and and they're going there ready for him. Is he going to be joined is this or crack a likely runner in the Betfair chase as we speak? Yeah, almost certainly as we speak. Yeah. Um, you know, where else do you go with him? Um, the original intention was to go to the Charlie Hall, but the ground went against him. We entered him in a couple of um, couple of handicaps, but it's not a sensible option. Um, you know, we had him in the two mile in the Bet Victor. It wasn't. It was. It was early closing races, and we John has to stick them in. If you're not in, we can't run them. So, so we did, and then we looked at it and we changed. And, and in the Labrooks Trophy as well. But you know, he's got to give lumps away away. That's that's, that's a harder race than, than going to Haydock. Um, in an ideal world, you you don't want the two of them to clash all season, do you? But 
they're two they're two separate two two separate horses two separate owners and it's just our job to and, and this guy's exactly the same he's only got a handful of races he can run in a year mm. so they we've got to we've got to we've got to treat them fairly and um if they both run massive races we'll be delighted is this the thistle crack that we've we've sort of been associated with over the years you know we've really enjoyed watching is he is he very much the same sort of horse now at the age that he is he's uh, last year we were always sort of fighting um a physical battle with him you know he just wasn't quite right having the work this he had the stress fracture just getting there i thought we'd run a blinder in the king george and then he had a stress fracture so that slowed us down again but the back end of last season we had him in and we had him ready to run um and just ran out of races and time on ground and everything so it, and then he only had six weeks in the field and we've had a clear run up through i mean mm. I was as pleased with him in his little gallop at Exeter as anything else because he looked like, and I could tell as soon as Scoo pulled up, he started smiling like a Cheshire cat, and he was patting him and going. And you could just see, you could just see there's um, there's, there's still that thistle crack still there. Well, that's the thing with the expectancy. Just because I suppose you go back to that world hurdle, he was so dominant, and then later that year, the aggression and the and the way that he pulverised his field in the King George. That I suppose that's just what we all want to see again, isn't it? Yeah, and I. In his work at home and in his gallop, I think I think we've got he's got to do it in a race. Don't get me wrong, but I think that we we've got him somewhere near somewhere back near that again. Um, I mean, with his age, he's it's he's kind of like a last last chance for him to to get to a to a gold cup without without him being sort of too old. I know I, I don't I'm not interested in the trends, but from from a, from our point of view, you know, we've we've got to treat this horse right and do our best we can to get him because he hasn't got there yet that's the thing I just sense Native River bless him he's gone on 1-1 cue card he has his opportunities and we all know about the falls but it would just be a bit of unfinished business if he didn't get there wouldn't it yeah you, we, you could spend the rest of your life thinking about it, couldn't you what yeah. if we'd have got him there on, on in his absolute best form um, so hopefully hopefully that's, that's still there and we've still just got Got one last time. If you go, if you go another, another eighteen months on again, and he is becoming an older racehorse, isn't he? But um, but we have got one last chance. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. The multiple champion trainer John Gosden, record-breaking multiple champion trainer John Gosden. Now we spoke in July. You sat in this seat, and things were going really pretty well at that point but I don't suppose even then you could have imagined that the autumn would be quite as golden as it had been could you? No the game's a good roller because we had a great ascot and we won the eclipse and then we went to the July meeting and couldn't find a winner so I mean that's the way the game is. That, that was about your only snake well, yeah. in, a, in a year of otherwise fairly, yeah. fairly copious You ask any trainer and owner if you throw everything at ascot you put, don't try and run some of those back at the July meeting we always get tempted and it's always an error. You know, it's rather like the horse that's been prepared for a derby. Don't go rushing back somewhere a few days later. It doesn't work. And just looking at that list of winners there, it just puts it into fairly sharp relief exactly how dominant the season's been for you. Which, which achievement are you most pleased with or proud of? Which, which has given you the most satisfaction? I think, look, overall, the, the night was fascinating for one thing. There were all different owners there. 
I mean, the, you know, the sprinter and the wonderful lady from Lancashire breeding two Group 1 winners in Lancashire, you know, Maria Niarchos with Alpha Centuri, the Rogers family with the champion Tiro Philly, and then all of ours were different owners, mm. and a lot of them were in a breeders. And I think that was probably the key thing, to, to have people who'd gone through the sweat and the tears of trying to breed horses on farms, their own farms, and then coming through with champions like Alpha Centuri, like Enable, like the sprinter, you know, and then in beyond Nielsen's case with Stradivarius. And I think probably, you know, in Roaring Lion, he was the only one who came from the sales, brilliantly picked at the sales, and phenomenally tough horse, who from the day we sat here after the eclipse got yeah. nothing but bigger, stronger, and harder here, you know, he became a real competitor. And I suppose, yeah, that was exciting, and uh, getting enabled back. But I'm lucky to have a fantastic team work with me from, you know, top to bottom, great team, and, uh, and lucky to train for owners who understand horses and have patience. I know you want to deflect the credit, and, and I, I understand that, and you want to keep a lot of owners happy as well, but what, what was the biggest challenge of the season? What was the, what was the, the aspect of it that, that left you scratching your head the most and thinking, how not, am I going to pick my way through this? Not scratching your head was getting a navel back. I mean, an injury is an injury. And it wasn't a little baby one, you know, it was an injury. It was a bursa. It wasn't a ligament, thank goodness, or a bone, which will heal better mm -hmm. than a ligament. It was a bursa. And uh, Ian Wright, the surgeon at the NEH, did a brilliant job in, in basically sealing it because this bursa was just impinging and filling into the knee. And she, she couldn't properly use the knee after exercise. It would just fill up. And then an hour later, it'd be fine. So it was that was a, something she came back from. Uh, and I think the hardest thing is to get one back from an injury of that. But she's very, very, very determined, Philly. And she meant coming back. But, but along the road, we had a little this, a little that. And then we got her to Kempton. And I think the most difficult thing was then we had a, she got a fever. Mm. And she had to be let out for a week. She started trotting a little canter and then boom, and we were just stuck with her around the time of the open day. I'm probably very lucky that it rained on the open day because I didn't have to bring her out and canter or, or explain to one because I would never bring her out in that weather and we only just started trotting again. And I think the problem was going to the Ark having lost the whole benefit of the, of the prep race. So that was getting there was the biggest thing and Frankie knew we were in trouble showing the race now it's fascinating that he waited and waited and waited and then he goes later than usual and then he'll feel this filly go away from the field and then suddenly she's tiring emptying and coming back and i think the class riding is here and i know you were debating the whip is how he actually puts a stick down and hand rides her picks her up to the line now you watch that because he knew presumably that if he picked his stick up again yeah, it's not going to help her. It's going to mess her balance up, and it's not going to help her. She's the most genuine, fully giving everything, and I think that's class in a rider to know that the thing to do now is to just balance, pick up, show my strength to your strength, and help you over the line. A phenomenal ride, and if he'd moved a hundred meters earlier, which he normally would have yeah. done. He wouldn't have got there. Meanwhile, James has given his filly a dream run through. I mean, a beautiful ride through. And I thought, here comes the three-year-old getting the weight. We're in trouble here. Do you reflect on and think you were a bit lucky? Perfect trip, we were, perfect ride. I think we were fortunate in that uh, I normally get a horrible draw. Golden Horn in the car park, where she was. Mm. Or at Shanti, they gave us the inside. Everyone hit our marvel. I said, no, no, no. I'm sorry, the track there, that's the track coming out. You've got to turn left out the gate. So actually, it's the worst draw, and Frankie overcame that very quickly. He stood at the stall and said, see that tower over there? 
unless I'm off the rail by then with a horse inside me, I'll be put in the box. I'll never get out because by the time you go down by the stables into the bed, you can't change your position, Shanti. That's why Andre Fab one day I was sitting with him after the arc the year before at Shanti and conversation had dried out and was sitting with Prince Saud. And I started saying, oh, at least it's a beautiful race course, Andre. I hate it. I said, sorry, if I had my way, I would blow it up. I said, why is that, Andre? He said, because quite often the best horse does not win. You get on the inside, you are stuck, you cannot get out. Time you get out, the race is finished. So I thought, well, okay, that's a lesson learned. Why do you and Frankie de Tori have such a special relationship? Why do you get on so well? What is it? Well, he came to Rachel and I with Barney Curley, his great mm. mentor, uh, when he got himself in a touch of a muddle. He this said, is early days? Yes, and he told Luca the world was his oyster and he was off, and, uh, and he was going to Hong Kong. Mm. Then he had a little, little incident, and uh, Hong Kong didn't suddenly give him a license. Next thing, he's not going anywhere. And actually, uh, he came, and he's a phenomenal athlete, great rider. He was just young. Everything had come too quickly. He's a highly intelligent fellow, but he knew he was in, you know, got him a bit of a muddle. So I actually went to see Sheikh Mohammed and asked if I could take him on. And he was on, uh, I don't mind telling the truth, he was on a £50,000 a year retainer paid in five installments of 10000 <laughs> And he worked so hard then. He, he arrived on the January morning and I didn't think it was him. He shaved his head. I thought his little devil sent a cousin, you know, but it was Frankie. And he rode 230 winners that year, all weather, 50 before the season started, in sleet and snow and everything. And he showed the real work ethic there. And he went through those three seasons. We got to the third one. I said, be careful. And he came to me in May. We're going for the trials. And he said, I'm exhausted. I said, Frankie, it's a bit early to be exhausted. It's May. I said, just don't take a week's holiday in Sardinia and come back fresh. And we never tried to do that again, because that's too much for any shocky. But he did it, and then he went to Godolphin. He had the beautiful, wonderful years there. Then that went a little bit. He had a disagreement with the trainer that came in and told him he shouldn't be running such and such a horse. They had a blow-up, so next thing he's, he's left Godolphin. And I'm lucky that uh, William then went to Godolphin, which was great for him. And uh, I got that message Remembrance Sunday about uh, noon, so they let us listen to this. Actually, I was in the service, of, the service with Rachel as the mayor, so I'm the consort. I walk five yards behind. I know my place. Prince, Prince and, I, get uh, it. Yeah. I got the call, actually, after the service that, that William was going there. So I phoned Frank at 6 o'clock. I said, I'll see you March the 1st next year, then sending to anyone. And that was suddenly the year of Golden Horn, 2015. And look, it's a pleasure to work with him. He's highly, highly intelligent. He's brilliant with his horses. He understands them. Great with the staff. Mm. And he's a very good judge in the mornings. And that is a gift. A lot of great jockeys are great jockeys, but they, they're hopeless in the mornings. They can't tell you anything. So he becomes a great part of the team. I just have to stop him thinking he's also the trainer as well as the jockey. So it's an advantage and a disadvantage, the fact that he's a good judge, because he gives you great help to you, but no, then you, huge, you get carried away with you the You ask any the trainer if they get... You know, you get someone on them. I mean, you take, uh, I was talking to Guy Howard about it, Greville Starkey, phenomenal judge in the morning. I mean, a lot of them are. I don't want to name names of some jockeys, but the worst ever, they'll lead you right up the wrong path. But uh, Frank is brilliant that way, and he loves it, and he's happy. And when he's happy, he can perform at this, he can go to another level. He's very nervous before often these big races. The arc, we have a thing where we have to walk the track together. We have to stand in the stall, or he's going to be, and then we walk the whole track. Are you superstitious? 
No, I'm, I am and I'm not. Uh, I'm not a, generally a superstition person. Prince Khalid was told he shouldn't have green on his colours because it was unlucky. Yeah. He said, in the desert, green is lucky because it's rain. <laughs> I like <Yeah>. green. <laughs> Fair enough. So I'm not particularly superstitious. But you don't, do you have little routines that you like to go through just, to, kind of, just to get your brain think, in the you right know, place? I think most of us have a touch of OCD. If you've stood in a certain place and it's gone well, you probably don't go and stand somewhere else straight away. But then after you stood at that same place twice more and it hasn't gone well, then you're inclined to shift again. I mean, I think we're all a little bit like that. Right, speaking of which, there's something that's been bothering me now for a couple of weeks since the Breeders' Cup. I was standing about two and a half foot behind you when Enable won the, uh, won the Breeders' Cup turf and you were standing with Rachel. You did not move a muscle for the entire race. Well, you leaned over and said something to Rachel about two, two furlongs out and then you stood back up again. But you did not... You didn't jump up and down. I know it's not necessarily your style. You were completely unmoved, and somebody took a picture and said, I wouldn't like to play poker with this man. Is that because you're so in the zone, or you knew the cameras were on you? Or I'd... I'll, give, uh, I'll let you know a secret. Look, the weight of responsibility was telling heavy, okay? But I've learnt that if you stand there and try and stay calm and deep breathe, yeah. okay, uh-huh. nobody knows. Otherwise, you can start fiddling about and suing your nerves, and I just had to stay composed. I was a little concerned how she was well attended by another horse throughout the race, and that's what I was watching. She was being messed around, essentially, she by She was being attended by another companion. horse, and I'll leave it at that, which I thought was a touch unnecessary, but we'll leave it at that. And I actually watched she was Rach beside me, and Jay Hovde, mm. who's a great friend of mine, this sort of senior columnist for yep. Racing Form together, and look, it was, yeah, it was a big decision taker there, and... Uh, goes the neck the wrong way, you're in trouble. Um, you said you were, you were feeling pressure. Uh, is that a rarity for you? Or, no, or I think it, it, I feel it about days? most races. I was watching races from Wolverhampton last night at the same time as watching one of the great rugby games of all time. What a team. Ireland beats well, the just, but Ireland is so fantastic. The way they bring those young players through. Paul O'Connell's my absolute hero. And to see that team play, and there's not an ego egomaniac there at all. Most wonderful team. And I think that it was tipped that they would, they would beat them. And they did. And the All Blacks fought and fought back. I thought it was one of the greatest games I've ever seen. Dry ball, fast, but played for pleasure as well as oh, hard. I know that it was, but they were playing to entertain both teams. It was absolutely fantastic. And I watched Wolverhampton, and yes, I got nervous <laughs> when they're in the gate. I do. You're bound to. The moment you don't, the moment you don't feel that, in work mornings, I'm a bit wound up. And the moment you're not like this, it's time to get out of the game because you've lost the spirit for it. See, the interesting thing about racehorse trainers is that the, the deeper they go into their careers, it seems to me, the more hungry and determined they seem to get. It's con- converse to almost any other job where people get to a certain point in their career and they think, right, now it's time to just ease back and, and slow down a bit. It seems to me there's something that drives you guys well, on and on and on and on. I think, you know, if you love horses and you've been given the opportunity to train them, you want the best for them, whatever's right, the best. And so if that's called being hungry, I call that doing your job. But of course, if you've had some fabulous horses, the truth is, you know that you know, another enable will probably never come along. Doesn't mean you don't aspire to do the very best with every filly that comes in the place. And I don't think you're going to be very good at your job unless you're yearning to do the best for those horses and have the success. The moment you start sitting back and getting idle and saying, I don't have to go to the sales and work the boxes and look at every damn yearling. I haven't got many orders or they'll send them to me anyhow. That's the beginning of a slippery slope. And I've seen that with some trainers and it's a mistake. You've got to stay 
not openly hungry, but you've got to be out there looking to do the best, looking for nice horses at the sales. If someone says, I remember the first good horse I trained, I had to, was, uh, was a horse that nobody wanted. He was unsold 40 grand. He went to Henry Cecil's. Henry said, I don't want him. He had huge flop ears, big, ugly brute. And he was flown into Carolinas and uh, broken in there. And I was phoned by Jackie Getty. This is 1981, too. And she said, would you go and see him? I had 10 horses at the time. Of course I was going to take him, but the deal was I had to go and see him. So back of the plane, you know, Rachel was keeping me then. She was a, a lawyer. I was just an old hustling racehorse trainer getting going. Slept on the airport floor, got there. Fascinating. I went to the track, where, well, a little track found, and there leaning on the rain was Lucien Lauren. Happened to have trained secretariat. Yeah. And he was breaking this horse in. And he was big and ugly. It was February as a two-year-old, and he already had blinkers on. And I thought, Sir Ivercott will have to geld him. Point is, I went there. He said to me, John, I don't know what it is, but this horse has something. But you won't find it for a time. <laughs> Breezed him Christmas Eve as a two-year-old. He went three-eighths and 36 yeah. at Sandra and I thought, ah. Oh. Didn't get good to later on. It's a long story, but he wound up winning an Eclipse Award. So never be too hungry to go anywhere to have a look. We talked about awards, talked about the Eclipse Awards. The Eclipse Awards, of course, um, we were talking about this a moment ago, are voted for. It's all on votes. The Cartier Awards are different scoring systems, so there's points and votes and public votes and what have you. It's an sort of electoral college type thing. If it had just been, a, say, 100 voters from across the racing industry, do you think Roaring Lion would have beaten Enable? That's a good question. He deserved to because, and the same thing will probably happen in America, because the filly who won the filly mare turf, Chad yeah. Brown Trace, yeah, yeah. I think she'll probably pip enable. Because people will give a vote to a horse that's raced hard throughout the year. One, not just gain the points, but in the case of Roaring Lion, in fairness to him, you know, he hated the spring, it was well documented, but he was at it out training from February right through until November and didn't miss a blip, didn't miss a, a day, a dance, guineas, derbies, trials, group ones, older horses, and then in the mud, as you can see there, at, uh, which he didn't like, uh, at Ascot. So he deserves it from that point of view, and I could see the logic. She does, she, yes, of course she gets the emotional, sentimental vote, and she fought her way back, but you've got to say it is about having the having to run the whole season, I think. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.